Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good Thursday morning. Paul filling in again for Carmen on this stormy Thursday, at least for many people still in the U.S., much of the upper Midwest under blizzard warnings and winter storm warnings. Here in the Twin Cities where our studios are, yeah, a little stormy, a little windy, a little snowy. Not as bad as they're thinking, but it's still, yeah, be careful if you're heading out today. (sighs) What a way to start out to... Start on a Thursday, right? Well, here we go. It's uh, Thursday again, our our, uh, Growing Your Faith verse of the day, if you just heard that a few moments ago here on Faith Radio. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. What hope-filled words from a book called Lamentations. I hope that fact does not escape your notice. Jeremiah miraculously survived the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. If you've ever read Lamentations, it starts with these haunting verses. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. Jeremiah saw the abominations firsthand. If you were listening yesterday, we were talking about Ezekiel saw these abominations as a vision before the fall of Jerusalem. Jeremiah witnessed them in person. And he prophesied, he pleaded with his people to return to God in the face of the pending judgment. By and large, they did not. He saw God's judgment poured out, many dead, many exiled. Jerusalem, destroyed. But he also knew something else. Jeremiah knew the promise of God that the exiles would return in 70 years, that Jerusalem would lay fallow for 70 years, but then, then something would happen. Go find that in Jeremiah chapter 25. Still, this book, a series of lamentations, and like the lamentation or lament psalms, there's a lot of wailing and weeping about what is while turning to God and hoping Holding out hope for God, what God will do, what he promised to do. Let Jeremiah's words, I, I could talk, but I think Jeremiah's words, let him speak to us as he laments. The chapter, chapter 3, starts this way. I am the one who has seen afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shut out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow cold. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me with heavy chains and though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He has hidden he has hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. 
He dragged me off the path and tore me to pieces, leaving me helpless and, and devastated. He has drawn his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He shot his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. And here's our verse. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. He goes on to say, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Even amid our times of confusion, our struggles, may we have that same hope. May we still have that same heart to hope in him. Well, I did see something. Here we are, day two of Lent, and uh, there's an organization. They call themselves Open Bible, openbible.info, and each year for the last few years, they've been asking their Twitter followers, what are you giving up for Lent? Well, number one thing people were saying to them, we're giving up Twitter for Lent, which, you know, that's a probably good thing to give up sometimes. Alcohol was number two. Social networking, number three. Chocolate, number four. Number five, <laughs> giving up Lent for Lent? I would hope not. There's such a beautiful thing about spending that time in reflection during Lent, not giving up on reflecting on what God has done for us. Well, as we continue mornings with Carmen, a leaked memo where they were say they were going to target so-called radical traditionalist Catholic ideology linked to, linking them to hate groups. That memo was rescinded after, after it was exposed, and, and there was some pushback. Now, where did this memo come from? Ben Johnson, the rights writer, he joins us every Thursday. He's in in one minute. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for just a couple more days. She'll be back in on Monday, but I'm, that means I get to talk with Ben. Ben Johnson, the rights writer, also a reporter and editor, senior reporter, I'm sorry, senior reporter, Ben Johnson, and editor from the Washington Stand. How are you doing, Ben? Good to be with you as always. A rare pleasure to get to speak to you, Paul. Yeah, well, well, not really. I mean, we usually talk in the background before and after our, you know, times with you, but we get to talk on the air, so we're not talking behind people's backs this time. Well, you're you're ruining the magic of radio. They don't know this, yeah. (laughs) We, we really do talk just about every time we speak. Yeah. <laughs> true uh, enough, true enough. I, I'm pretty sure that, that sentence made sense. It, yeah, I think it did. 
And yeah. mm-hmm. anyway, let's get to what we're going to talk about here. I talked about a few moments ago about this memo that was leaked from the FBI where they were targeting so-called radical traditionalist Catholic ideology, again, trying to tie it to hate groups. Now, first off, where did this come from? Well, the uh, list that they used was derived from the Southern Poverty Law Center, SPLC. And of course, uh, that name will be familiar to many of uh, the listeners for a very long time. Uh, The SPLC has targeted traditional Christians uh, as alleged hate groups if they do not, for example, believe in uh, the uh, belief that gay marriage, uh, for example, is uh, one of the uh, one of the ideas that they say will lead you to be a hate group. So there are a lot of Christian ministries uh, that are targeted as alleged hate groups, and including, uh, I should say, the uh, parent group of the Washington Stand, the Family Research Council. Based on that map, uh, it led a crazed gunman to uh, shoot and uh, wound uh, the guard Leo Johnson. No, no relation of mine at uh, FRC. Uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah, so, it wasn't that long. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's been a very long time that they've added this extra criteria. So they, they noted that obviously traditionalist Catholics reject uh, uh, LGBTQIA agendas. And so they, they added them to this list uh, and tried to tie them, in the words of the memo, to quote-unquote violent extremists. Hmm. Okay, so that's where the impetus. Now, thankfully, word of this memo came out, and the FBI did a well, at least allegedly done a three. Uh, pardon me, a one eighty. Yes, uh, they rescinded it after a lot of public pressure. Uh, you know, they they have said that uh, this memo was not up to snuff. That uh, uh, the, if you read into the memo, what what they say is that there not every traditionalist Catholic uh, is is a violent hate monger. They haven't been able to to go that far just yet. But they say that uh, there are those uh, um, who are uh, identified with that ideology whom uh, the SPLC would qualify in uh, in that category. And therefore, they they want to try and drive a wedge between most Catholics and the small slither, which, uh, by the way, is something that we've seen uh, not so much uh, from the FBI, but from uh, the media in my own church, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, where there's been a sustained pressure uh, for many people who've converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, trying to label them in the media as uh, extremists as well. So hmm. uh, the, this, the tactics, whether the FBI lay behind that or that's simply a, a confluence of interests, I don't know. But the fact that you see this exact same thing play out over and over again sort of gives you an idea where this comes from. And uh, so finally, after some public pressure, they said this should not have come forward. Uh, of course, there were a lot of Catholic bishops who uh, obviously spoke out about this and members of other churches, religions. Uh, our group, the uh, the Family Research Council, spoke out against it. And former members of the FBI, uh, former directors and uh, bureau chiefs and so on, said that uh, this document should never have seen the light of day. But it's it's very concerning that it was never drawn up in the first place. It is. Well, again, you mentioned one of the key issues in that had to do with um, – a lot of traditional and biblical understandings, uh, you know, creational understandings of what, you know, human flourishing and how that goes against much of what is happening out there within a lot of the LGBT ideologies. And that's where we're going to be going next after we take a quick break, because uh, there was a school in Iowa that, well, let's just put it this way. Some parents are fighting back against some transgender secrecy 
that was happening there by the school district, the Linmar School District near Cedar Rapids. We'll talk about that as we continue here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen today. Ben's our guest, Ben Johnson from the uh, Washington Stand. We'll, We'll continue in just a moment. Prayer is such a gift. I love to pray. I think people sometimes overcomplicate prayer or try to craft perfect prayers as if God needs to be impressed. God just wants to hear what's on your heart and mind. He just wants to hear the sound of your voice. He wants us to turn to him with great expectation and faith that says, I don't have the power nor the resources, but God, you do. Or I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. Or God, thank you. Thank you that you're good and that you've revealed yourself in ways that I can comprehend. And thank you for doing all that you do in every moment, even the stuff that I don't know is happening. Help me today and help me not miss the divine opportunities you've set. I want to see you today, God, so show me yourself. Prayer's not complicated. It's a gift. And you can exercise it every moment and in any circumstance. Start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional Email. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen for this Thursday. I'm Paul filling in. As uh, Carmen's taking some time off, she actually sent me some photos of her ski trip out near uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, Beautiful scenery. Of course, we're getting plenty of white. We're we're located here in the Twin Cities. Well, again, continuing my conversation with the rights writer, Ben Johnson, also a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. And, okay, this actually comes from the World News, uh, which we get our the SIFT newscast from. But uh, they were pointing out something that happened or has been happening down in Iowa in the Linmar School District, which is near Cedar Rapids, where – the school, Ben, they were hiding kids' gender, you know, some of their gender confusion from their parents. That's exactly right. Uh, what what the school district uh, decided, they had adopted a policy where uh, they said that they wanted to keep any sort of um, gender um, um, identification secret, uh, not only from uh, the parents, uh, but other students, as well as even members of uh, the faculty, some of their teachers may not know. Essentially, it was on a need-to-know basis. If someone identifies as a member of the opposite sex, then only those who absolutely had to know would be told. And uh, the parents said, that should be us first and foremost. So uh, they took them to court. Uh, they initially lost their first case, uh, which was, by the way, in front of a uh, Trump-appointed judge, uh, C.J. Williams. But uh, it's currently in front of a three-judge panel. Uh, at the U.S. Court of Appeals. They heard oral arguments last Wednesday, so a week ago yesterday, uh, in St. Paul. Uh, they're in the Twin Cities where you're based. And uh, hopefully we will have a decision uh, very soon. But clearly this should be the very first uh, person who is notified is the the people who are primarily charged by the law and God himself with the upbringing of these children. Yeah, one of the concerns was, okay, the parents were saying, you didn't tell us, and the school district, one of their ways of arguing is, well, you could have just asked for the information, you know, our our records about it. It's like, mm, you know, you could have also just told us, because my, my wife is a second grade uh, teacher, and she tries to have good communication with the parents about things happening in the kid's life, both good and bad, anything that is, you know, really impacting the child's well-being. And yet here, they're hiding it. Yes, uh, 
you're right. Ordinarily, if, if a child uh, shows up and he's got a, a different kind of countenance, there seems to be a change in the mood. Sometimes that would trigger a letter back home or a phone call with parents. Or both. Uh, certainly would come up at, uh, you know, the, um, the most recent parent-teacher conference. And yet uh, here we have uh, you know, one of the most life-affecting decisions that someone can make. And essentially the state is acting as a surrogate parent saying that uh, the child should be able to make a decision independent of his parents. Okay. Now, related to this is an article you have up at the Washington Stand. This will be in our show notes about a uh, controversial trans clinic down in the St. Louis area that basically, okay, I'll let you explain it because there was this group of fifth grade girls that came in to the clinic and said, hey, we're, we're all trans. Yes, this is really a heartbreaking story in many ways, but uh, so so revealing about the transgender industry. As you say, there was a, a pediatric uh, gender transition clinic associated with Washington University in St. Louis. And uh, this is the same clinic where a whistleblower named yeah. uh, Jamie Reed came forward. Uh, she wrote an article in the Free Press. She also made a formal complaint with the Missouri Attorney General, who is now looking into it, along with uh, two other state agencies and U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. And she makes a number of, uh, of claims and allegations in that, uh, all of which are, are worth looking at, and, and they're covered in separate articles at WashingtonStand.com. This particular one, though, uh, reveals an email that came in to the uh, facility from a fifth grade teacher. Um, it came from someone in the school system, let's say it that way, okay. about a situation in fifth grade. One child came forward, a young woman came forward, young I should say young girl, uh, 10 to 11 years old, came forward and said that she identified as transgender. And suddenly the next day, most of the girls in the class came forward in the same way and said, we're transgender as well. And they asked, how should we respond to this? Now, the way that you and I would respond to it is young people clearly act in a way that is uh, dealing with uh, peer pressure or social contagion. Uh, matter of fact, there was a study that was done uh, by uh, Dr. Littman uh, several, several years ago on what's known as rapid onset gender dysphoria, ROGD, where she said well, the primary means is social contagion, mm -hmm. particularly among young girls, where uh, they, will, they will hear this, they will be influenced by one another, and suddenly they'll all present the same symptoms. And it's not just gender dysphoria, it's also other uh, conditions uh, as well. For example, uh, sometimes they would identify and say that uh, they had ADHD or other kinds of conditions when one of them would be diagnosed that way. So they said, this is clearly a case of social contagion, uh, or at least that's what you and I would say. The gender clinic uh, in St. Louis told the class that uh, they should affirm an entire fifth grade class that came forward uh, and, and say that uh, if some of them later end up uh, reverting back to their chosen, their, the gender with which they were born, then no harm was done by uh, telling them that they were really boys. So uh, really what you're seeing here is uh, either a triumph of uh, massively misguided ideology where uh, the, the standard of care, quote unquote, is that if someone identifies, a child identifies as a member of uh, the opposite sex, even for a moment, they're right. And the only possible answer is not to question, not to give them time, but simply to agree with them and do your best to uh, facilitate that transition. Or it's a, a profit motive where this, uh, this facility uh, makes a great deal of money. And that's something that uh, Jamie Reed exposes in some of her other allegations, which are currently being uh, uh, litigated by the state. Yeah. I, I, um, 
you, you and I both watched a uh, video. They did a podcast after Jamie Reed released that information through the uh, Free Press website, and it was a you know it's on YouTube. You can find it, and the inter- interview they had with with her and her lawyer and uh, some other people. It's like wow, it, it the whole idea of social contagion. It we we've been dealing with with it for a long time. I remember back when I was in high school, there was a contagion of things like. And anorexia that happened, that was happening in some schools. And now with social media, it's just exploded, and yet people are blind to this because of ideological and possibly even monetary stuff as, you know, some of the, you know, there's people making money off of this. Well, they make money, and unfortunately, they make money for life because yeah. when, when someone gets into the pipeline, uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, statistics show very clearly that um, – 85% of people who identify as a member of the opposite sex when they're underage, by the time they're 18, will grow out of it. Uh, so if you do nothing, you, you don't change anything, 85 to 90% uh, will, will no longer identify as a member of the opposite sex by the time they're adults. And, and that seems, by the way, to coincide with uh, essentially the time when your brain is fully developed around the age of 26. So if you do nothing, most people will not change. People who are, quote unquote, affirmed and are put on puberty blockers, almost 100% of them go through with gender reassignment, mm-hmm. which says that there's something going on besides just the drugs. It's, it's something to do with the affirmation, with the contagion, with the idea that some people are continually telling them, this is your identity. Uh, this is who you are. And you need, you need to do this. And uh, again, once you're on puberty blockers or then cross-sex hormones, and it may it may ultimately uh, um, terminate in uh, some kind of surgical process. But when it's all said and done, you have to continue taking these for life, mm-hmm. thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. So they have a, a, a customer for life, and the industry is set to essentially triple over the next five years, according to the most recent estimate that I've read. <sighs> so there there is a, a huge industry here and a huge profit-making motive. And I'm always sort of taken aback by those on the left who um, – have read Ralph Nader and and others, and they believe that corporations are evil. Big Pharma is evil. Uh, Corporations will do anything, including intentionally hooking and killing their customers, except if they are the transgender industry or the abortion industry. Hmm. Yeah, we're talking with Ben Johnson, the rights writer, and also a writer and editor at the Washington Stand. A couple of articles we're not going to have time to talk about right now, Ben. Uh, Have you finished the article where you're looking at the Department of Education rescinding a Trump-era rule that allows the government to withhold taxpayer funding to universities that discriminate against religious organizations? That was a long sentence, wasn't it? (laughs) Well, and and it's a longish article, but uh, hopefully it'll be up today at Uh, WashingtonStand.com. Yeah, as you say, what what would allow... um, people to do. The Trump administration passed a federal rule uh, regulation saying that if a university has violated students' religious rights and a court has ruled to that effect, then the federal government could withhold taxpayer funding, uh, could permanently disbar someone from receiving federal funding if the violation is bad enough. Because that's a violation of the First Amendment. Yes. Well, that's that's what you would think is why should Christian taxpayers be forced to uh, subsidize their own oppression by a university exactly. through their tax dollars. Uh, and, and yet uh, the Biden administration has said the uh, courts already have enough uh, resources. Christians have enough resources by having recourse to the courts. Therefore, we're going to remove this protection uh, because it, quote unquote, creates an undue burden 
for for the uh, administration. Now, the the um, administration has created lots of new regulations dealing with the university. So it tells me that they just don't have an interest in protecting the rights of Christians and other believers. Yeah. You also have another article we definitely don't have time for, but heartbreaking, but sad one about a 15-year-old girl who is illegally coerced into an abortion by some social workers. It is a heartbreaking story. And uh, again, you see the government interposing between parents and uh, the children. In this case, there was no legal consent obtained, according to the lawyer whom I spoke with at length. And I would simply direct people to uh, go over to WashingtonStand.com, take a handkerchief and uh, read that article. Yeah, bring a handkerchief. It's it's not good. But Ben, thanks again for keeping us informed and talking with us every week here on Mornings with Carmen. Pleasure's all mine. Good to speak with you. You too. You too. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen this week here on Faith Radio. Here we are on the eve of the anniversary, the first anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I came across a news article yesterday about Maria Lova Belova. This sounds innocuous. The children on children's ombudswoman from Russia, how she adopted a boy from Donbass, from the Russian-occupied region of Ukraine. That sounds kind of beautiful, but... It's it's not that beautiful. Vlova, uh, Vlova Belova, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, announced she was proud in her meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin earlier that, you know, she she was adopting Philip, who for a long time wanted to return to Ukraine, but now appreciates his new home. The children ombudswoman is closely involved in removing Ukrainian children from Russian-occupied regions. She leads the policies that organize the deportations of Ukrainian children and integrate them into Russian families for, quote-unquote, patriotic education. That is also why the United States has placed her on a sanctions list. Uh, Russian policy of taking children from Ukraine into Russia is very controversial. Last week, a study from Yale showed that Russia is holding at least 6,000 such children in these re-education camps to Russify them. According to researchers, there are at least 43 of these facilities in Russia. The policy of taking children and re-educating them could even be considered genocide, according to Nathaniel Raymond. Uh, he talked about that uh, during the presentation of the report at Yale. The transfer of children to change or destroy a nation's identity is forbidden by international law. Some of these Ukrainian children eventually uh, were eventually transferred from a re-education camp into foster families or adoptive families, but many of these kids are not really orphans. Their families are still alive in the Ukraine. It's, it's, it's been a hard year for families, for men and women, well, women and children especially, as here we are again, eve of the first anniversary, millions of Ukrainians are either exiled in other countries or displaced from Ukraine, within Ukraine itself. For those still in the nation, it's been a long, cold winter as Russians have targeted civilian infrastructure, cutting off electricity to many of the people there. Well, in a moment, we're going to talk again with Don Parsons of Mission Eurasia about their efforts to bring help and hope during this dark time. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen on Faith Radio. 
family hunkered down about a year ago as the bombs were falling in in Ukraine when Russia started the invasion, singing, He Will Hold Me Fast in Ukrainian. Hey, I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm filling in this week. And yeah, it, one year ago tomorrow is when the invasion started. And, you know, it's it's been amazing to see how ministries have been seeking to be a light amid the darkness of the war in Ukraine. Uh, Jim J- from Simsbury just texted in. Uh, by the way, you can always text in your thoughts, 877-933-2484. Jim said, yeah, my sister leaves Sunday for Poland and Ukraine for a resupply mission for the organization she is part of. So safe travels, uh, uh, Jim, for your sister. And thank. would you thank her for us? Would you really thank her for us? One of the... Um, Ministries that has been heavily involved in this effort is Mission Eurasia. Now, Mission Eurasia trains, equips, and mobilizes national Christian leaders throughout Eurasia and Israel who are engaging in evangelism, church planting, holistic ministry, and church growth to transform their countries for Christ. We have with us now from Mission Eurasia, Don Parsons. Hey, Don, thanks for joining us. And I guess you've gotten a crash course in the holistic ministry side of of this. Yeah. Good morning, Paul. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to share this morning and to spend some time with you. And thank you for your listeners for for praying, uh, especially as we approach this ominous um, date tomorrow, one year since Russia invaded. Yes, we have gotten involved in the uh, in the full scope of holistic <laughs> ministry. You know, Mission Eurasia, as you said, is a mission organization that's focused on leadership development, equipping of next generation leaders. But when this war started, we could not sit back and and watch and just be involved in leadership development. We had to respond with with aid. And uh, over the course of this one year, we've been able to uh, help in Ukraine in. Moldova, in Poland, in other locations as well, providing uh, psychological care, but providing physical aid, uh, hygiene products, pampers, uh, formula, of course, food packages, lots of food, um, and lots of literature, hundreds of thousands of pieces of Christian literature, mostly, largely Bibles, uh, New Testaments in Ukrainian. Um, just we've had to reinvent ourselves to some degree mm-hmm. in order to meet this massive need of this U- the Ukrainian refugees and internally displaced peoples. And it's not just you retooling yourselves. You're helping those leaders in those countries like Poland, which we're going to get to your recent visit uh, about. We're talking yeah. with Don Parson, by the way, from Mission Eurasia. But, um, you know, you're equipping them so they can equip their churches the the people of the 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 body of Christ these local congregations to be effective yep. in serving their communities. Well that's exactly the case. That that's that's the foundation or the uh, uh, the way that that Mission Eurasia is designed. We're not a large organization, but we have a large impact and the large impact is through our networks with local churches and leaders. Um you know in Ukraine itself, we have a handful of staff that is Ukrainian staff but we're working with hundreds, actually thousands of volunteers scattered across the country that are helping us to do the distribution of food, to do the evangelism, to do the psychological assistance, medical aid, and all of those different things. So yes, equipping, coming alongside of them, helping them to be more effective in sharing the gospel as they're uh, giving out a food package, as they're providing psychological assistance and aid. 
Mm. Here we are in Poland. Yeah. You, you mentioned Poland. Uh, I'm serving in Poland, spending most of my time right now in Poland. Right now I'm in the States, but uh, most of my time in Poland. And uh, we have two refugee assistance centers, one in Krakow, one in Warsaw. And while I'm a Westerner, yes, that enti- those entire teams, without exception, are all Ukrainians. So it's mostly Ukrainian refugees, uh, Ukrainian leaders, Ukrainian believers that are reaching and working and doing the job of reaching Ukrainian and helping Ukrainian refugees and displaced peoples. So it's a it's a beautiful picture. It's challenging, but it's a beautiful picture. So really, you're just you're just a support guy. You're you're yeah. just equipping, supporting, encouraging, and giving them resources to do what they're doing. That's right. That's right. Mission Eurasia is able to help uh, through through your your listeners, for example, and many others. We're able to provide the the food itself, purchase the food. Our, of course, they're purchasing it there. Um, but have those resources to be able to purchase those items and then to be able to hand them out. And we're just doing the equipping, the spiritual equipping, and providing those resources so that they can get the job done. And I see the long-term benefit is these communities, you know, these these local church communities, they're going to be there for, in the long haul, and they can yep. continue ministering to these people that are brought in. Absolutely, absolutely. And Ukrainian uh, Slavic churches in Poland – uh, they have multiplied because of the war. Really? Just imagine that. Because of a war, you've seen a church planting movement start. Uh, we've seen from our church in Warsaw, where I'm based in Warsaw when I'm there, uh, we've had two churches that have been planted, daughter churches, as a result of the war, hmm. just because of capacity, because of the need, because of the interest. Uh, that church itself was a Ukrainian-speaking church before the war, had about 200 people coming, and then all of a sudden it ballooned to 600. But the hall only holds about 400 at, at best. And so we thought, well, let's let's do some church planting. And so we've got Ukrainian brothers and sisters that are out planting churches there and in different cities all around the country. And we're, as Missionary Asia, we're trying to support those leaders, trying to support those church planters. Um, I'll just mention tomorrow, actually, not, I'm sorry, on Saturday, we actually have a Zoom gathering for leaders in Poland, Mm. uh, church planters, to try to mentor, encourage, and give them some equipping so that they can be effective in their ministries scattered all over Poland. Um, And it's it's a huge need to do that, but it's also a beautiful picture to see that, that God is working in the midst of these difficult things, you know, kind of a Genesis 50 moment, what man intended for evil, this war is an evil intent no uh, question. God has used for his glory and his good. That's good to hear. Again, we're talking with Don Parsons from Mission Eurasia. They've been busy like you, Don. You've been doing most of your work in Poland, and you have workers also in Moldova. Uh, according yep. to one report I saw, there's a still about 8 million Ukrainians. Well, they have fled the country. I, I assume most mm-hmm. of them are still outside the country. There's another 6.5 yep. million displaced within the borders of Ukraine. That, that is a massive displacement of people. That, those are huge numbers. That's 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 a third of the population, the pre-war population of Ukraine, is either refugee or displaced. Mm. A, a massive number of people, yes. Well, as we continue our conversation here in a few moments, we want to look inside the nation of Ukraine because Mission Eurasia has been busy there as well. Again, talking with Don Parsons from Mission Eurasia. You can find more about them. Oh, I didn't put down the, uh, the website, did I? Uh, Don, what's the uh, website for Mission Eurasia? 
It's real simple. MissionEurasia.org. MissionEurasia.org. That's very simple. And we'll continue our conversation in just a moment. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. What's it like inside Ukraine right now on this eve of the Russian invasion? I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen, and I'm talking with Don Parson from Mission Eurasia that has been serving Ukrainians both outside the country, where Don has been doing most of his work, and also inside Ukraine. And I know Sergei Rakova, your president of Mission Eurasia, has been uh, – Rakuba, pardon me – has been busy going back and forth from here to Ukraine. And again, let, give the lay of the land there right now. What's, what's been happening uh, there, Don, in Ukraine? Sure. Yes, Sergei uh, travels on a regular basis in and out, typically through Warsaw. Um, You know, none of the airports in Ukraine are actually open. So he has to come through Warsaw, which is always a good opportunity for him to spend time with us and our in our refugee center team. But it travels around the country with uh, Denise Garankov, our director there in in, uh, Ukraine, and sees the things that are happening there, you know, open doors for the gospel uh, meeting the needs of people that are in desperate straits and desperate situations. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, one of the things that Missionary has been involved with is this stoves project. Yes. So you have Russia trying to destroy the infrastructure of Ukraine, uh, to put the lights out, to turn the heat off and so forth. Well, uh, it, it's effective in some ways, but what's happened is the Church of Jesus Christ is gathered around. We have been able to manufacture nearly 2,000 uh, wood-burning stoves, and to have them placed in people's homes and in warming centers, largely in churches all around the country. And Sergey has helped helped to see that happen in different different places. So you'll have a, a warming center. Uh, people will also provide generators, so people will gather in a church uh, for warmth, for some food, and they're able to get their phones charged. And while they're there, they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have Bible studies. Um, and so th- these are some of the things that Sergey has shared and has uh, seen time and time again, where people that are distraught, people that are afraid, uh, they're gathering in churches uh, in places where they would not have gathered previously, but they're there now. They are there now. And of course, with the churches, where I'm trying to go on with this, I'm having a mental block. <laughs> Sorry, Don. But okay, the, the churches are, you know, again, Living out the gospel in ways that are again, it, it's like it's like God has planned some of the stuff. I guess that's where I'm really getting to. It's like even though, as you yep. said before, this is one of those moments what God meant or what man meant for evil, God meant for good, and He He has been mm-hmm. 
he's he's been empowering his church and he's been using organizations like yours to mm-hmm. be that power. I mean, okay, yeah. you you mentioned about one of the cities when we were at break. Uh, there's a city down in southern Ukraine that was uh, yeah. that was liberated. And tell us about the story. Sure, sure. And it, it, before I even share it, just to uh, preface preface it by mentioning. Acts chapter 7 and 8, where you've got Stephen who gets stoned. A terrible story. Yeah. Uh, he, he dies. And then in chapter 8, verse 4, as the church is under persecution, what happens? They, they flee all over the place. And as they go, they scatter. As they're scattered, they take the word of God and preach it everywhere they go. And we're seeing Ukrainians doing exactly that. So this one town in southern, um, southern Ukraine, it was liberated this past fall, late fall. And um, uh, Mission Eurasia was able to, as soon as it was liberated, was able to send in some teams to to try and assess the situation. And when they went in, they realized that these people were starving. What had happened is the Russian troops had taken all their food, mm. all their 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 um, their their food stocks, their um, uh, cattle, and had slaughtered them or had taken them away. And these people were starving. And so our church network. Uh, Missionary Asia's church network began to provide food on a regular basis to this town. And the people started to ask questions. Why are you doing this? Why are you helping us? And of course, they began to share about who Jesus is. And they said, well, can we learn more? And of course, the answer is yes. And so they started to send a church planter up there who would do Bible studies. And to this day, from last I heard, they're having regular Bible studies. People are coming to Christ. And you could say that in this, this town where there was no church before the war, there is a church today there, a small, growing, but vibrant church because of this horrible war. It's a beautiful thing to see and understand how God is working in the midst of these horrible, horrible situations. Mm, those You were talking about those food, the, the eye care packages, aren't those? Yes, yes. Taking the food, the eye care packages, these are, these are food boxes that um, can feed a family of four or five for about a week. And we would just be regularly taking them up. And included in those packages is always a piece of scripture, whether it be a children's Bible or an adult Bible or a different kind of uh, Christian, different kinds of Christian literature, uh, words of encouragement, gospel tracts, and so forth. So they're receiving those things on a weekly basis, but then they want to know more themselves. So now they're studying the Word of God together with some of these people who came to provide those eye care packages. Again, what God, what man meant for evil, God meant for good, and just it's great how you're able to help support these churches in their efforts to make an impact, to serve their communities, to share God's love, both tangible, you know, in a tangible way, so the gospel can be shared beyond that. Yeah. Okay, if people want to get involved with Mission Eurasia, obviously going to the website is very helpful. MissionEurasia.org. Um, I mm-hmm. would encourage them to do that this morning if they can at ten o'clock. Why is that? Yeah, at 10 o'clock Central Time, so 11 o'clock Eastern Time, there's going to be a large Zoom gathering uh, with Missionary Asia. This is to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the war, which which officially is marked tomorrow. But we'll be uh, there'll be those of us from Ukraine, from Moldova, from Poland, uh, from other other uh, places throughout the region, especially from Ukraine, uh, who will share uh, updates, who will share. Um, what God is doing on the ground, more reports like I've shared with you this morning, and then we'll spend an extended time of prayer. Uh, We desperately need to be praying for Ukraine, an end to the war, but also need to be praying for brothers and sisters in Christ that they might be able to continue to stand firm uh, as these attacks 
continue. These spiritual, these physical attacks, but also the spiritual attacks continue. So it'll be a great time of gathering together, listening to reports from the field and praying, uh, praying to the Lord regarding Ukraine. Got to ask one more question, Don. Sure. Um, Okay, a year and a half ago, this was not even on your radar, what you've gone through the last year. (laughs) How has that impacted you spiritually? Mm. Well, Maybe you've heard a little bit of it today. I think we have, um, but I want to hear it formalized, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I, I get it. I get it. You know, I've I've been reflecting a lot on Hebrews uh, chapter 12, in the beginning verses, right. where we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, the, the church in Ukraine was the largest evangelical church in all of Europe when the war began. And to see that they have come under great persecution, great pressure, great uh, great um, trial, and yet to see so many brothers and sisters in Christ living so boldly uh, for Jesus, willing to share the gospel wherever they go, willing to live for him, even though they've lost so much. I have learned and watched their bold faith. And what does it make me want to be? I want to be a bold faith person as well. I want to, I want to follow the example of my brothers and sisters in Ukraine and live my life like they do faithfully serving the Lord no matter what, no matter what I lose, no matter what I have in my hands, just giving my life to Him. Hey, Don, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for sharing your heart there. And um, our prayers with you and and your team. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen. That was uh, Don Parson from, uh, from Missionary Asia. Check out their work. Get, un- get involved with that uh, prayer time online, again, at missionurasia.org. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. And he is listening, so keep praying. Hey, responding back to Jim from Simsbury, he said his sister is heading to Poland and Ukraine for a resupply mission there. And Jim said, here's the big news, though. She just accepted the Lord last summer, and she's all in. So, again, Jim, thank thank your sister for us as she's trying to help out those in need in Ukraine. Tomorrow, we hope to be talking with uh, Vitaly Sabko, as well as Wade Marshall. They're from the uh, Shepherd Foundation. And we talked to them last spring about some of the work because um, the Shepherd Foundation, they run what's called Camp Maximum, which was kind of, I guess, your typical Sunday school camp or whatever, you know, church camp. It ain't that no more. Uh, it has done so much more through the last year because of the need. And so we'll talk to them about that. I'm also going to put in the show notes, um, actually Ryan's going to do it because he's the one who puts it together, an article that has the war of Ukraine in eight pictures. I saw this at the Free Press. And um, the pictures, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Maybe more, maybe more. Well, again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen. Remember to download the podcast or subscribe to the podcast. You can find out more at myfaithradio.com. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.